Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. The sand, the surf, the beaches. Tonight on a special profile episode of Break Fix, we talk cars, movies, and more with special guest Paul Wilamoski. We're very excited to have Paul on the show. Some of you might remember him from his days coaching at Hooked on Driving events in the Northeast before he moved to sunny California. But did you know that he's an avid motorsports enthusiast, amateur photographer, and all-around petrolhead? And as always, I'm your host, Brad. And I'm Eric. So let's roll. Pauly, 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 what's going on? How you doing? <laughs> it's been a minute, man. How are you? Good, dude. Doing well. I've only been here for, what, two and a half years or whatever. It, it yeah. is the rainy season in L.A. It's weird. It gets pretty chilly for L.A. It gets, uh, like, highs in, like, the 50s, low 50s. And at night, it gets into the, it could get into the 40s, low 40s. Do you have the May gray just like they have in San Diego? No, we don't. Uh, it's like December gray. Yeah, it can get kind of shitty and uh, LA drivers are horrible to begin with. Like the worst, honestly, the worst drivers I've ever seen. I've driven all over the world and I, I, put, them, I put them up with like India, you know, where it's like, a, <laughs> it's a fucking free for all, you know what I mean? Um, exactly. And then when it rains, it's like New Yorkers trying to drive in the snow because they don't know how to deal with it you know so they don't know how to deal with rain here because it rains four times a year so i'm doing night you know 80 90 in the left lane people are doing like 40 in a 70 and stuff like that and like it's a shit show but you haven't worn a stitch of actual long winter clothing since you've left i'm assuming it's funny that you say that a week ago i wore my only winter jacket for an evening and it was I was like, holy shit, I actually brought a winter jacket here and I wore it. First question to that, though, is was it either tweed or houndstooth? And did you wear that freaking cravat that you used to bring to the track? No, it was a, it was a barber, you know, barber, that British company. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Barber jacket. And uh, you can't get away with that shit in L.A. You know, pe- all that people wear here. Honestly, it's weird, man. Like people either dress to the nines if you're in, um, you know, Beverly Hills or something yeah, yeah. like that. But everyone else is like shorts and a t-shirt or a sweatshirt. It's so laid back. And so, uh, so what you're saying is the Ralph Furley look is totally out for you. It doesn't Totally work. out, dude. I wear like, I'm wearing like a zip up cardigan and, and a t-shirt and I probably look like an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> and I live alone. I've got two cats. So, uh, no one was complaining. So you're playing the part of De Niro as the crazy cat lady? I get it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your car enthusiast past, like all the different kind of cars you've had. You and I have a similar background that people just happen to hand us keys a lot. And we get to drive some really interesting cars. I noticed the other day on Instagram, you were behind the wheel of a uh, RS 4.0. And so, you know, we can go anywhere with this. So let's talk about your background. Okay. Well, Growing up, my dad owned Midas Muffler franchises, so I was always around shops, and my dad thought he was a good driver, 
and uh, taught me a lot of stuff about how to do oil changes, spark plugs, blah, blah, blah. When I was in college, I had a good friend, Mike Musto, who is, a, is at Hemmings right now, and he's a big online uh, uh, journalist. He bought a Ducati, and I wanted a bike. So after college, we lived near each other in Astoria, Queens, and I bought a Triumph Speed Triple, started riding, then I bought a second Speed Triple, and then he really got into cars, and he's like, dude, you're a big car guy, you should get a car and go to the track. And I said, okay. And I had a BMW 135i with DCT. And I'm a manual guy. Every car I've had has been manual, but for some dumb reason, I got the DCT. So I go to a hooked on driving event at Lime Rock. You know, coach gets in the right seat, shows me that I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what an apex is. I have no idea about anything. Obviously the first session, I was horrible. Second session, I was horrible. Third session, things started to click a little bit at Lime Rock. And by the end of the day, I mean, I was so much faster and hooked. That was towards the end of the season. So over the winter, I was talking to Musto and a couple other people. And I was like, look, I don't like this BMW. What do I get? I want something really fast and stupid. So the 2013 Shelby GT500 came out. <laughs> yeah. That's about yeah. as fast and stupid as you can get. I know, man. And I put a Ford Catback Racing exhaust on it. And 662 horsepower, 631 pounds of torque. It was a beast, but it's not a track toy. I went with Hooked on Driving to New Jersey Motorsports. It was Thunderbolt and Lightning. I can't remember yeah. the setups. But most people, when they go to do DE events, they do what? Four or five events a season. I did 30. <laughs> you're drinking from the fire hose dude i was so hooked and i had great coaches and all that and i was so hooked the second year i started doing about it was about 15 events in now this is not just hooked on driving this is like pca audi bmw and all that and it was all over the northeast so it was watkins Glen, poconos monticello jersey and lime rock so I was at Watkins Glen and I can't remember who it was, but it was someone who's the Joe. It was Joe. Uh, do you, you know, Joe from Joe, Joe with the nine 11 or with, I think it was Joe with the nine 11. He, and, and Scott, Scott's the cop. Yeah. So those guys are like, we're watching you on the track, dude, with the Shelby. You're fast as hell going up the S's on the back straight. <laughs> going into the bus stop, you're like driving Miss Daisy and the car just doesn't want to go. Right. I'm like, it's so hard to handle this car. No, that's, that's right. It only wanted to go left. You're right <laughs> <Yeah>. about that. <laughs> just left. And I was really struggling with the car. Someone said, have you ever driven a Porsche? And I said, no, not really. Like when I was a kid, I drove a 944 for about an hour. That is an extra on 16 candles or, or what? <laughs> yeah, right. With uh, what was the guy's name on that? The dreamy guy that owned it? Jake. <laughs> Jake. I always think about Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Yeah. So someone lent me a uh, 987 Cayman S at Watkins. 
they got in the right seat. And after a couple laps, I'm starting to get used to the car instantly. It's so easy to drive without even trying because I was only, you know, driving five tenths or six tenths because it's not my car. I was one and a half or two seconds faster than the Shelby. So this is a, a car that's a thousand pounds less, if not more, and half the horsepower. That started to click. So I sold the Shelby, bought a 981 Cayman S. Only things I really did to it was add a third radiator, pads. What else did I do? Stainless lines, you know, SRF fluid and all that. Yeah. And boom. And I went out. I was having a blast. And then I hired, what's his name? Uh, uh, Andrew. Andrew. So Andrew became my mentor. I was getting quicker and quicker with the car. And he said, the only way you're really going to get faster in this car is if you put in a five point. That was where I got to that gray area. Do I want to turn the car into a race, you know, into a race car and it's going to be really annoying on the, on the street or do I want to not go that way? So I put the harnesses in. I just didn't like it. I started doing like, I was going to do coilovers and all that kind of stuff. It just turned it into a complete awesome track car, but not a street car. So I capped it at that point. Let's pause there before you transition out of the Cayman, because I think that's right around the time that you and I met. Were you already instructing at that point when you were in the Cayman or was that yeah. just before? Yeah, I was instructing. Yeah, so then we were in the instructor core together, but then we started hanging out at that first event at Palmer when I had the BMW and we were paddocked all there, all miserable together at Palmer. Oh. And then, you know, things continued from there because then we continued to work together as group leads. And then I was the interim CI for a while and all that back and forth right. kind of stuff right there. So you transitioned out of that came in and unexpectedly went into a mini. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fun wheel drive. So, so here we go. So Palmer was interesting because I went to it. I've never been on the track before. Have no idea about that track. And that, that track is no joke. Yeah. And you really got to pay attention at, at Palmer. So they're like, okay, you're going to instruct. And I'm like, I don't even know where the apexes are. I have no idea. So Jay takes me out and I do a lead follow for like, I don't know, 20 minutes. He's like, you got it? I'm like, yeah, I think I got it. Yeah, because I remember you were coming up to me, what are you doing in turn whatever? And I'm like, yes. I don't know, it's my, it's my first time here. How the hell do I know? <laughs> Thank God that the, the student I had was completely like such a beginner yeah. that, you know, I look like a pro and I had no idea what I was doing. See, so, listeners, fake it till you make it as a coach. Um, that's that's the mantra. And Jay Tepper actually qualified Mike Musto to be an instructor back in the day. And coincidentally, he was the uh, Jay qualified me to be an instructor with hooked on driving and stuff. So, you know, he, he it was fine. I mean, that's a great track. I really love the elevation changes and, the, and, the, and all that. So anyway, what happened was I worked for 12, almost 12 years. I worked for Harvey Weinstein. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I was doing, you know, behind the scenes movie stuff. And when... That started to go downhill. This is all before the whole Me Too movement. The company was sinking. We had no idea what was really going on. I got laid off. Oh, and wow. um, so it was re it's really hard in the film industry to get a position at my level in New York because we were the big boys, the bad boys on the block in New York. 
after that went tits up, the, all the little companies just weren't paying what, I, what I'm used to getting paid. That's the whole reason why I moved out here. So when I had the Mini Cooper and I was doing all that stuff with Hooked on Driving, that was the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I was in purgatory. Um, like I didn't, I, I, I couldn't afford the Porsche. I, you know, I had no money coming in, but I had my daily driver was this Mini Cooper. It was like a 2015 Cooper S. And I was not a big fan of it. The 15s, like the newer ones are bloated. They're completely numb and front wheel drive. So um, you also had an Acura in there too, didn't you? That's my daily driver, dude. It's a, a 2005 Acura TSX uh, six speed. I put Coney's on it, Coney yellows on it, <laughs> pads, and it's a hoot. I drove that in 42 hours from New York to LA. Wow. With a, with a friend. Non-stop. But you had it on track as well, right? Or was there another Integra in the mix there from what no, I remember? I think I took the TSX. I never had an Integra. I think I took the TSX once or twice on the track, but the car has 150,000 miles on it. I wasn't going to push it. I got to drive a lot of other people's cars, you know, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But as you know, there's something to be said that driving someone else's car is a nerve wracking experience. So I'm very, very safe on the track. I've seen some crazy shit. I have a video actually I should send you. I was in a, what was the last gen vet? The Z07? The seven? The C7. C7. Uh, I was in a The good looking, the good looking one, yeah. The good looking one, yeah. The new one is so I'm not a fan of it. Uh, so we were going down the front, the front straight at uh, Watkins Glen. There's a guy in a Mustang in front of us, and he's putting along at like a hundred. So were you ha- were you immediately having flashbacks going? He's not going to make it through the bus stop. I already know this. I already know this. But but like so, and he's got you know he's got the chrome rims and all that stuff. So I'm like, oh boy. So in front of him is an S2000 trying to pass him on the on the inside I mean, on the right so oh i remember this incident yeah so he gives him the point by the guy goes and he races him to turn one and they hit i think the mustang did a 180 and so did the uh the s2000 and i'm watching the whole thing happen and you know as you know you get that spidey sense when something bad's gonna happen 15 seconds out, I'm like, something bad's going to happen, dude. And sure enough, it was, uh, that was the only contact I've ever seen with all the years of being on the track. It only takes one stupid thing to ruin everyone's day. Thank God the damage wasn't too bad on the cars. Eric, was that the same event where two Miatas, not to be named, were involved in some uh, Miata on Miata contest. Negative, and Mike Crushfield knows exactly this situation. This was the weekend of the MSF Level 2 training. Oh, uh, that, that, okay, now I get so it. So you and I and it, oh, the rest, half of GTM's coaches were in, were in with Ross Bentley getting trained, and we heard about it because it had happened while everybody else was on track. Paul, let's go back to your, your history, your car history a little bit here. Yeah, so when you were a kid, I mean, your dad owned a shop, what were some of the posters you had on your wall? What were some yeah, of your dream cars? I had the Kutosh, you know. I had, my man, my man. See, me, see, petrol heads of a certain age all had Kutoshes on their wall. I'm telling I you. I had the Kutosh, you know. I think it was a white one, too. I think I had Testarossa. 
on there. I mean, everybody um, had a test. I, my, I didn't have the Countach. I had the Testarossa. Yeah, I had that. And then I only had like one other poster and I can't remember what it was. Was it a Fiero by chance? God, you, no, you took my, I knew it. I knew that was coming up. With the speakers in the rear, in the, in the headrest. Was uh, it a, was it a Fiero with a big breasted blonde on the hood? No, but I or, on the front or Heather, it was Heather Thomas. No, it's Heather Locklear. Whoever was on the fall guy. Uh, oh, that? that was Heather Locklear. Yeah. Oh, Heather Locklear. It was like her on like a, like a, like a, a Trans Am. Yeah, uh, yeah, Trans Am or whatever. Musto has, uh, the exact smoking the bandit Trans Am. He got rid of that and just got like a funky blue Trans Am, a light blue, almost like a baby type, baby blue type thing. And those things are great. They're, I mean, back in the day when we were kids, we thought they were so fast. I think the car has like 180 horsepower or something like that. Yeah, out of seven liters, right? It's like ridiculous. <laughs> Lots of work though, so you get those burnouts for the movie. Uh, I got to drive one of those. A buddy of mine bought one for literally 50 bucks in high school. He bought it. It was a navy blue Trans Am uh-huh. with the screaming chicken on the hood and the whole nine yards. And he rebuilt the motor. He went to auto diesel college and then some places down in North Carolina to learn all that stuff. And I remember helping him put it in. And after we got it built, we drove it. And I was like, at first, it was a really difficult car to drive. But that was the first time I learned that valuable lesson of never drive your heroes because you yeah. will be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. Right? Yeah. Even before I moved to L.A., I've been fortunate enough to go to uh, Monterey for the Pebble Beach. Oh, nice. The whole week, you know, I would stay at a friend's house and stuff like that. So saying that, I used to drive so many of these cars around Monterey. So I drove, do you know who Alex Roy is? He's another guy who did like a cannonball record. He's done, he did a cannonball, I think, in a Morgan. So he does like crazy shit. Anyway, he had like a Citroen, a Citroen, Citroen, an old one with the airbags, like the 70s one. And he oh, was like, like a, a De Chaveau? I guess it's or like a, a DS, the one that looks like a water bug or pill bug. Is it in your Instagram feed? Because I think it was it a DS. Uh, I hate that car. God, I hated it. But what was really weird about it was either the clutch pet, no, it was the brake pedal or the gas pedal wasn't a typical pedal. It was just a button. You just hit the button. So, so now, French, dude. I'm driving this car. It's got a gated shifter. And I'm driving it through Carmel, okay? So now I have like three F40s behind me. I have Mike Musto and a Daytona in front of me. Millions of dollars of cars all around me. And I'm on a hill like this. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to hit that F40. And everyone's sitting there laughing their ass off, knowing that I'm sweating, you know, my balls off. Yeah, I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to drive a lot of these cars and stuff. But again, going back to driving someone else's car it's not fun for me now i feel you and and you know i don't know what it is maybe maybe it's your your rugged new york charm that people just hand you their keys and that maybe you're just trustworthy that's what uh, it is right? yeah I, I think it has a lot to do with them I mean, i'm not the fastest driver on the track and all that but i am extremely safe my situational awareness is very good i learned from the best and i'm still learning every day i oh, was absolutely actually, i was at button willow uh yesterday uh, which is a, a racetrack uh, about an hour and a half north of here. And I was with uh, Billy Johnson, pro driver, was hired by Ford. He set up the GT500, the new GT500. Oh, wow. Before it went on sale, he helped develop it and the Ford GT and did Le Mans four times in the GT. Wow. This guy is no joke. He's like 
probably one of the best drivers I've ever seen. Spending 10 minutes with him, he showed me how to correctly heel toe. He's nice. like, you're doing, it all wrong. you're doing it all wrong, dude. He's like, you suck at it. This is why. <laughs> and um, I soak it in. And I was fortunate enough to be around Jay Tepper, you know, Mike Arrigo, Brock H. Jr., Solomon Rosenthal, Billy Johnson and all that. And, all, and Mike Musto. And I, throughout the years, had amazing coaches. That's really the secret sauce, right? That most people forget is that when you go to these DE events and you spend a lot of time, you are the culmination of all your instructors. You pick something up from all of them. You pull a thread. You're not going to take away everything. You're going to find the stuff that works for you. And then that becomes your driving style. And then as you become a coach, you try to instill some of the core values and things to other people. So then they inherit some of your racing genes or whatever you want to call it. It, It's an interesting ecosystem, the way it works. And we're all a byproduct of all the people that we've had experience with. Absolutely. And I love paying it forward. You know this when you're in the car, you, the, when your student has that aha moment, that moment of clarity where it clicks and they do it correctly and they're happy and you know they're happy and, they're, and they get it. It's a great feeling. And I never thought that I would be a coach. It's, I never thought my personality, because I'm a New Yorker, I, I don't have the patience for a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Listen here, wise guy. You're doing yeah, it wrong. Asshole, you know, like, <laughs> this is what you got to do. But I was able to do it and just mellow out. Honestly, with all the students I've had, I'd say there's only about two or three that I couldn't get to. Like they were just not having it and they didn't. we didn't click. But everyone else, I love it. And I love it when... And this happens often when I'll get like a random text from someone. And this actually happened a couple months ago. Like, hey, man, how are you? And I'm like, who who are you? And they're like, you instructed me at, you know, Pocono, like for the whole weekend. And and I did this and I did that. And I'm like, that's amazing. I can't remember who you are, but I'm glad that you reached out because he wanted to buy a Cayman. And uh, so he had questions on what to buy and blah, blah, blah. And I just bought, I'm back in the game, baby. I just bought a Cayman. Oh, nice. Which yeah. which which generation of Cayman? Because there's nine, several now. A 987, which is first gen. It's it's a 2007. I found it with 33,000 miles on it. Wow. Yeah, so it's a great car. I actually prefer it driving-wise over the 981. It's a more analog feeling car. It's great. I just put a cap back exhaust on it, a short shifter, and I'm flying through the canyons now. So why why the Caymans over the 911? The 911s that I've driven are, my favorite are the 997 generation, 997, 9972, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, an S, right? My favorite, what I really want is a GTS. Are you familiar with the differences are? The two inches in the back, you know, so I love that big ass in the back. It's the hips are amazing. Gotta love a big ass. Yeah, it's a 70. I mean, that's what it says on his license plate, just like Kramer, right? (laughs) Ass man. (laughs) He's the ass man. It's a $75,000 car with 1,000 miles on it. So what I like about the Cayman, I think, reflects off my personality where I like to be safe. 
and the Cayman is such a point and shoot car. There's no drama to it. It's very hard to get the back end to come out when you're pushing it. When it does come out, you really got to know what you're doing to get it back in. But it's so hard to really mess up in that car. And it's small, which I love. And it's quick. It's got with the exhaust and all that 310 horsepower at 2,900 pounds. It's a blast. Yeah. You know, it's not a fast car. It's a quick car. It's a little scalpel. Now, why not the 911? The ones that I want are a lot of money. I will, will only get an S. I will only get a 997 or maybe a 993, which is kind of archaic. If, if you guys know that kind of car, it's archaic. Yeah. It looks beautiful, but inside looks like it's from the 60s. The 991s, I, I believe, are the next gen after 997 are big. They're grand tourers now, not sports cars. Yeah, they're GT, and and I mean they're not as big as like the BMWs, you know, the M3s. No, and, no, nothing's as big as the M8. Let's be real; that <laughs> thing's like a school bus. Oh man! So I really like the 997s, and I probably will get one. You know, uh, that GTS. That's my unicorn right now. I'll get it over time, but for now, the not the 987s. It's a thirty thousand dollar car. And if you look at it, you know, people who don't know Porsches think it's a fifty or $60,000 car. The car's in immaculate condition, and I love it. I, every time I get in it, it always puts a smile on my face, especially after a cold start. You know, this is a great car, man, for thirty grand. Now, saying that, the roads here in, in Southern California are the best I've ever driven on. The, the canyon roads. Well, coming from New York. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, in New York, I would go up to like Bear Mountain and stuff like that. And there's yeah. like, you know, it's like a three mile ride up and down. And that was it. You know, we had some nice back roads in Connecticut and stuff, but they were all for the most part uh, residential. So it was, you know how it is. You really got to take it easy on those roads, blind driveways, what have you. Here, the canyon roads, like Angela's Crest, the Santa Monica Mountains by Malibu and all that. These roads are legendary and they're so fast. If you screw up, you'll die. You'll fly off a cliff. Again, being safe, I have fun, but I'm not pushing it like some of these people that I've watched. These roads are hundreds of miles long. I mean, even the PCH is gorgeous and it's a lot of fun. I mean, not nearly as fast or technical, but if you're out that way and you want to go for a drive, just jump on the PCH. Absolutely. So when I'm going to Malibu to the mountains, I'll take PCH up for about 15 or 20 miles. And it's a beautiful scenic sweeping, you know, sweepers. It's 50, 60 miles an hour because there's a lot of cops there. As soon as you turn right and go up the hills, it turns into uh, like Tour de France. It's just like this for you'll see signs you know like the you know, like squiggly next yeah. 30 miles or something like that and you're just like well yeah so, <laughs> so is, is Mulholland Drive included on that Mulholland is great there, Mulholland, there, there's some houses on Mulholland though aren't there yeah Mulholland is, is it's a beautiful road but it's extremely narrow and there's a lot of blind curves on it and, and is it as creepy as they make it out to be in the movies Oh, yeah. The Lynch film. Yeah, it's creepier at night, especially. That's another thing in L.A. Everything is pitch dark. Like there's like one lamp post, light post every like half a mile. 
Mulholland is fun. It's better on a bike because you have a lot more maneuverability. Mulholland Highway is a bit more open and uh, that's fun. There's tons of stuff. There's one curve. It's called like the Dragon something. It's a famous curve that goes uphill and people are always hanging out there watching motorcyclists crash. Yeah, I've seen that. I think I've seen the videos. I saw a BMW yeah. flip over or something there. Yeah, once. it happens like daily and it's all because of the riders not looking ahead. Yeah. And that's all it is. Which that's is something it. that we we basically repeat constantly. Get your eyes up. Be situationally aware. Yeah. Right? Look ahead. Yeah. So it's been like a few years since I've actually been on the track. So those daily rituals, you know, when you're on the track, look up, look ahead. They haven't faded completely. But when I'm driving on the roads, I have to keep reminding myself now, look up, look up, look far as far as look ahead. through the apex, look through the turn, look at that car that just, you know, a half a mile up and stuff like that. And it's great because it's embedded in my brain. It's, it's, it's muscle memory, exactly. but I still to this day have to remind myself to look up because you get lazy, you know, you, you just look at the car in front of you and react with them. And that's the worst thing you can do. We touched on your current dream car being the 997, but what was the dream car when you were a kid? It was definitely the Countach and the, because of Miami Vice, it was the, uh, the actually, I, pref- I really liked the, day- the Daytona that he drove before yeah. he got the Testarossa. But yeah, it was the white Testarossa until I found out that they were fake. Yeah, they're all of them were. Yeah, they're all they're all like like Corvette engines or something like that on and and all that and that kind of turned me off. But it was definitely Ferrari. Porsche was uh, I love the nine seventeen and uh, that was just a beautiful looking car. But I would have to say the Countach. It was definitely nice. because of the doors. And uh, so, do you think that was the sexiest car of all time, or do you have something that's it even still further holds out? up, dude? It like Matt Farah has one. He's got like a red one with gold wheels on it. And I like was hanging out looking at it. And I'm like, this car is amazing. And then the reality kicks in because it's pretty funny. You can't see behind you. No, at all. So when he had to reverse the car at Radwood, do you know what Radwood is? So there was Radwood at the Peterson, which is a big famous car museum here in LA. He was backing it in and he had the door open, his ass out of the car backwards to go through and i'm like that really sucks dude yeah because the, the side mirrors are useless too so it's yeah. the only way to see well, how does mad farah fit in one of those isn't he like six three six four he's about six three i would say about 280 pounds 70 pounds yeah, so he, he's a little smaller than i am i don't understand how he fits in a car like that uh, i don't know he just bought a 308 i think yeah uh, now there's a car that oh man the magnum pi was a 328 though no right? it's a 308 gts and then the, the later ones he had a 308 gts qv with the oh. four valve head so and i heard he used to like destroy the clutches dude and, those were his car those were tom Selleck's cars oh i did not know that yeah and that so what's really funny is and i've talked about this before in another episode there's a crossover he did with carol burnett where there's a green one and that was the loner car because of what you just said, where the clutch was out on the red one. So they gave him this green one and it's like one episode, but yeah, they were all his cars. And apparently he bought one for Rick and TC and like everybody. And so they were like multiple cars on set and they would use them. And uh-huh. then uh, they did a crossover also. This is where I'm nerd now. They did a crossover with um, 
Richard Dean Anderson on MacGyver and he borrowed Tom Selleck's car and used it for an episode on the show for whatever stupid reason, you know, those cars are great. I've driven a 328. It's much bigger, no more head height than the 308 does. Mm -hmm. It took a minute to get used to the gated shifter, but I tell you what, man, there is nothing like those high strung Ferrari V8s where it's like, where is red line? Cause the gauge goes to 12,000 and you're just like, yeah. I don't know, somewhere around nine you shift and it doesn't care. And they sound glorious. Oh, amazing. And then you, then you realize it's in there sideways and you scratch your head and you're like, wait, it's transverse. You're like, what? <laughs> so who thought, who thought this was a good idea? Tom Selleck is tall as well. I think he's like six, he, three, six, four. He can't drive that thing with the roof on. That's why they, ne- they could never <laughs> shoot in the rain or whatever. <laughs> I think I just put two and two together. I forgot. The reason why I love the Kuntash so much and everything comes full circle here is because of Cannonball Run. Yes, yes. So the intro to Cannonball Run, which we all know, is the Trans Am cop chasing the, uh, the, the Lambo with the two girls in it. And it's just amazing and then years later i got to meet brock h jr you know and and all that and telling him that i've watched the cannonball run 150 times i know it verbatim and that was pretty cool was that the first one or the second one where they did the color change on the car where they like hosed it where they went to the drive-through yeah yeah, they hosed it down and it came out black or went in black and came out white or whatever yeah that was the second with the second one I wasn't a really big fan of. I'll watch it because you know it's Burt Reynolds and Doug. Oh, yeah, of course. Funny story about Brock H. Jr. There's a, a famous guy, he's super rich, has his own racetrack at his house in upstate New York. It's a pretty cool racetrack. And it's it's a it's a, like, crazy that he built a racetrack there. So Solomon Rosenthal, uh, who's associated with One Lap of America, he was doing an event there for veterans. They were doing a TV show for wounded veterans, doing kind of like a marathon with race cars and doing this and doing that. And the segment was them driving Roush Mustangs. So we had Jack Roush Jr. there, Brock H. Jr. and a bunch of other people. Solomon called me up and said, listen, could you help out? Uh, we need someone to, that knows, you know, working in a hot pit. And there's going to be a lot of people there that have no idea what they're doing. So I need you to supervise it. I said, absolutely. So I did that. And then at the end of the day, they're like, hey, if you guys want to take your cars out on the track, go right ahead. So I had my Cayman and I'm going around the track and Brock Yates Jr. is behind me in a piece of crap Subaru Outback. Okay. <laughs> junk in his car and all that and dude i am trying to drive quickly and he is right up my butt the whole time and we get out and he's like dude you suck and I'm <laughs> busting my chops and i look down and he has no shoes on he's driving barefoot you just did that barefoot he's like yeah like i like to drive barefoot and i'm like and you were up my butt in a subaru outback that's amazing. He's not the fastest driver in the world now because he's getting up there in age, but he is one of the smoothest, one of the most consistent drivers I've ever been around. Lots to unpack here, tons of stories, but let's let's switch gears for a minute. So coming from the East Coast and going West, 
And yeah. I'm assuming you've been out to the West Coast before traveling, but now you've, you've changed residency and all that. The uh -huh. car culture on the East Coast is very different than the West Coast. Like, you know, we have our stance bros. There's a lot of autocross out here. There's a right. lot of tracks, a lot of famous tracks on the East Coast. Like you mentioned, Lime Rock, Watkins Glen, VIR, Road Atlanta, mm -hmm. Sebring, the list goes on and on and on. The track culture in California is very different, but also the car culture is extremely different. So what have you experienced now being there, especially in Southern California and being in the midst of, you know, some of these great fabricators and, and cars and car shows and things like that? What's it like? From my limited experience here, because I've only been here for about, what, two and a half years. And one of them has been stuck in my house like everyone else. So what I've noticed is, I think car culture was created here, you know, in like the 50s and 60s and all that with hot rods and all that. You have that element, okay? You have cars and coffee and car meets. There's 50 of them a day, okay? It's insane because the weather here is always, for the most part, great. You can always go to some sort of car show, some club doing some drive, and all that. And it's amazing. It's very different than what I'm used to in the Northeast, which was kind of the car shows for the most part were high-end car shows at like Greenwich and the Greenwich Concours and, and uh, the big event at Lime Rock where they had like everyone's car around the whole track. That's like what, a mile and a half long. Here it's more just kind of like impromptu. A lot of them are. And there's a lot of money here, a lot of money. So you'll go to a car show and you'll see $10 million Ferraris and Bugattis and, you know, uh, Zondas or whatever, like all this crazy stuff. Mike Musto told me this when I moved here. He said, listen, you're going to come across a lot of people that you're just not going to want to hang. And, you know, they have more money and all they do is show off their cars, which is cool, but I like hanging out with people that go to the track, want to drive, and, and have that kind of personality. It's been difficult to find those people. Honestly, I just started finding those kind of people that I like going out on the canyons with and driving and knowing that they're not going to do anything stupid and try to, you know, have huge egos and stuff like that. And that's what I gravitate towards. So it's great when, just like you guys, it'll be a Sunday morning. It'll be, I'll meet someone in Venice Beach at seven o'clock in the morning. We'll go up PCH. We'll go in the mountains for a good hour and a half, two hours, and then go to this tiny little restaurant that's outdoors that Steve McQueen used to hang out at all the time. You know, it's called the old place. Have breakfast and then you're home by like 11 and that's it. And that's great for me. The track culture here is pretty cool. People go to the track here all the time. The thing is, is that there's only really like two or three tracks around LA. I think it's Button Willow, which I was at, which was about an hour and a half away. There's Adams Motorsports Park, which I've run at. Adams is out in Riverside. So in if you Riverside? Try, yeah, if you want to try something different. I've never had, there's Willow Springs, which is super famous. And maybe like, and then there's like the Porsche Experience Center, which yeah, is yeah. not really the same. Yeah, there's one other one, but that's about it. So everywhere else, like, you know, if you really want to go to 
serious racetracks besides Button Willow, you have to go north to like Laguna Seca, uh, Sonoma and all that. And that's cool because Musto, my good friend for 30 years, lives in San Francisco. So now that I have the Cayman, I'm like getting the itch again. You know what I mean? And I'm like, let's go to Laguna and stuff. And that's inevitable. I'll be doing that soon enough. I'll be living vicariously through you, Paul. So just like, dude, no, we're going to, we're going to be visiting is what you, what you meant to absolutely. say. Absolutely, Dude, I've got an extra bedroom. You guys can crash here. No problem. Yeah. The car culture here is amazing. So you'll be driving down the street and you'll stop and a, I don't know, some crazy cougar or, or, or Barracuda or. I'm uh, glad we're still talking about cars. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was thinking that I was wondering. That's a whole other conversation uh, altogether here. It's insane. A cougar in a Barracuda. A cougar in a barracuda. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that that song by heart, right? I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah, the, there's every kind of car, you'll see everything around here. A lot of them are more bespoke than like what we're used to on the East Coast, which all the stance bros, where everybody's putting them on bags and doing whatever they're doing. And they're very flashy and very well put together. But out West, I see, I feel, still feel that there's a lot of custom fabrication going on to make everybody's experience in car very unique. Absolutely. So a good friend of mine, uh, her name is Catherine Sutton. When I was at Weinstein, I was her client for like 10 years. She worked at Technicolor, which is a big vendor for the film industry. We hit it off really well. She's super sweet. She's got a 356 and a Cayman, just like mine. So when I moved here, I lived like five minutes from her. And she's on the board of the Peterson Museum. You know, the doors swung wide open and... I got to tour Outlaws, the Outlaws, you know, Rod Emery. I was at his facility. Peterson had an event there. So yeah, I got to watch the fabrications there. I've seen a lot of uh, the Singers Porsches, which are gorgeous. They're out here. Have you been by Magnus Walker, his, his shop? I haven't, but I see him at least once every other week at some <laughs> car thing yeah. all the time, all the time. So that road that I was telling you about, Angela's Crest, there's a really famous restaurant called Newcomb's Ranch. You're going up these mountains for 30 miles and there's nothing there except mountains. And then all of a sudden there's this tiny little restaurant in the middle of nowhere. And that's the meeting point for cars and coffees, guys riding bikes, what have you. It's closed because of COVID, but it's got a huge parking lot. And I was just there two Fridays ago I drove up at seven in the morning to get my yayas out. And who's there is Magnus. And he's hanging out. He hangs out all at all these events. So you see him all the time. I like what he does with his 9-11s. And he's kind of like a singer light, I, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I, I, I actually was contemplating talking to him saying, what could you do with a Cayman? <laughs> you know, and I, just like, I'm curious to see what he would say on it. He actually just bought a... 991 turbo that had like 150,000 miles on it or something like that but he got it in. for like 50 or 60 grand so yeah. uh, that's that's a deal and a half and i think that's like his first modern 911 so do you just see it as different better do you miss the east coast ways or is it just the whole new chapter yeah i miss certain things about new york and the northeast uh Obviously, the, the main thing is my family and my friends. I, I miss that tremendously. You know, I'm trying to make new friends out here. 
being stuck in my house for a year doesn't really help. The Cayman does help. That's a nice little gateway to the Porsche community. Well, I think it also brings you back to your East Coast roots because you had one when you were over here. So you kind of get back in that mindset. There's a bit more culture in the Northeast than LA. There is culture in LA, don't get me wrong. LA is a gigantic city. It's huge. I still get lost. I use Waze every day. But you have to search for some really cool stuff. While New York, maybe I'm just being biased. Because in every, it's because in New York, everybody's got a guy. They got a guy that knows a guy, and they know the place to go. People have guys here. They're, they're funny. Someone just said I got a guy the other day, and I started cracking up. I'm like, wow, that's so New York. Yeah, the people are nice here. Everyone is throttled back here for the most part. Being a New Yorker, I was coming full tilt boogie and people were scared. So they're like, you, you, you got to chill, dude. Like smoke a joint, it's legal here and, and, uh, and relax. People are nice. The food is great. It's much more health oriented here due to the weather. I'm not hibernating like I did in New York. Since I moved here, I lost like 35 pounds mm. and uh, the tacos here are freaking great. That's what everybody says, right? The best tacos. I can't imagine why. I'll say, so let's shift into third. Let's talk a little bit about Hollywood, right? So you don't have to go into all the gory details. I think some of the listeners would love to know if you worked on anything that maybe they've seen that was popular, anything related to cars. All right. Well, we'll start with like movies that I worked on that involved cars. I would say if you guys remember the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez double feature called Grindhouse. Yes. Uh, the one with Kurt Russell driving the Nova with the big duck on the, uh, so I worked on that film. That was like one of the first films I worked on when I started at Weinstein. The Tarantino film is called Death Proof. Yes. And that we helped amazing. design the posters. And one of the cool posters on it is it's very retro 60s, 70s. And it's just the hood of the Nova. And so I worked on that film, trying to think of other car stuff. Uh, Or even notable films that people were like, oh man, you worked on that. I I just saw on your Instagram, you worked on uh, Sound of Metal, which I haven't watched. It's on my list to watch like really soon. Yeah, that's a really cool movie. So the company that I work for now has a Canadian, a sister Canadian company. And we had the rights to Sound of Metal for Canada. So I was dealing with the producers every day and Amazon and all that. I got all the materials to successfully market and release the film in Canada. That movie was a pain in the butt to deal with because the movie is about a drummer losing his hearing. And what they decided to do, you know, closed caption files? where you can turn it on or turn it off. Yeah. They wanted it burned in. So it's there 24 seven. Plus it's, you know, about people losing their hearing. They have to use the closed caption. So they're trying to get the point across. Awareness. The 25th hour to get this done. That's not an easy task to do. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think of other films. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, The Reader, The Artist. Do they all start with the? The, yeah. The King's Speech. (laughs) <laughs> that was a good one i saw that one yeah that was a good yeah. flick glorious bastards i saw that too that's a, a, the second tarantino flick <laughs> it was inglorious django and the hateful eight oh, uh, wow. which is western and then um yeah and then death proof and grindhouse and uh, nice. the grindhouse, thing. grindhouse thing was a huge 
issue. So the movie was about three and a half hours long. It was a double feature, right? Had fake trailers at the beginning of it, fake trailers between the two movies. And when it was released in the United States, people didn't understand that. So most people left after Death Proof, after the first movie, not knowing that it was a double feature. Funny, when I saw it, because I saw both of them, I saw the double feature in the theaters. Death Proof was the second one when I saw it. Is that right? The Rodriguez film was the first one. Then, uh, you know, I might, I, it's been so long, it might have been people left after Planet Terror, which was the, uh, the Rodriguez one. Yeah. So saying that, I dealt with international. So I deal with the whole world releasing our films. No one wanted to release this film now because it's three and a half hours long and no one's going to stay in the movie theater for three and a half hours. So we had to split the movies up and release them as two separate films. Now think about it. If you've marketed and did all your post-production and everything for one film, now you have to completely redo everything and release it for international. And we did that. And those films became like the director's cuts that were like 10 minutes longer and all that. So that was a nightmare. So, uh, you know, which other movie had fake previews at the beginning? Tropic Thunder. I'm just going to throw it out there. Oh, yeah. Booty sweat. (laughs) (laughs) I love Tropic Thunder. So, they make them like that anymore, but they don't. (laughs) It was great. Before we get into the secret petrol heads of Hollywood, let's actually talk about your thoughts on some of the more recent car related films that have come out of Hollywood. So kind of your hot take on maybe the Fast and the Furious or Rush or Racing in the Rain or some of those movies. I love Rush. I think that's a well-made film. I've always been a fan of Nicky Lauda and, and James Hunt and the and the rivalry there and all that. And, you know, they were at Watkins Glen and all that. Even though they didn't shoot it on location, a lot of it was all CGI and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that film. And I'm a big fan of Ron Howard, the director. The Fast and Furious films, I'm not a big fan of. I mean, they're just completely stupid. You know, they defy the laws of gravity and all that stuff. But I watch them. I'm, I have to see them, you know. It's it's just, it's pop- It's entertaining. Yeah, I mean, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I love Fast Five, the one that's in like Rio and stuff like that. That that's one is the best one, yeah. I love Tokyo Drift. And yeah. uh, What about Ford versus Ferrari? I liked it. Very much so. You didn't get all up in arms about when, you you know, he's doing 200 and suddenly he shifts and then the pedal goes six feet further. (laughs) It's funny that you say that because there's a couple of times I'm like, how many times is he shifting gears? Every car in Fast and the Furious is a 14 speed, like a tractor trailer, right? So besides those inaccuracies, I did enjoy the movie. Nine out of 10 people are not going to know that there's, you know, the engines are inaccurate. The sounds are inaccurate and all that. I really enjoyed it. I thought I'm a big fan of the director. It's a very inviting film. Yeah. It's kind of like you can watch it over and over. It's got a very warm feeling to it. It was shot with a lot of available light. So it's a beautiful looking film. I love that the CGI is really, really down to a minimum in that film, if at all. That is probably my favorite car film in the past few years. Did they film at Willow Springs? I think they did. I don't know, but just watching the film, you can tell that it it was at Willow Springs. Yeah, it looked Uh, legit. At Le Mans, they didn't. That was fake. Uh, I think they shot that in Georgia. There's probably some establishing shots and stuff like that in the town that's legit, but the actual track stuff, no, I think that's fake. So I've got a question for you. You you mentioned like the original Cannonball Run. Uh, You really like that film. 
what about the original Gone in 60 Seconds? Because we reviewed that film yeah, on we our did. podcast. <laughs> I haven't seen that film in years. I, I, I think the last time I saw it, I did a, like a double feature with that in uh, Vanishing Point. So yeah, I mean, I love those films, but I'm going to say the best driving films I've ever seen is Ronin. Ronin is fantastic. All right. So here's a little backstory on Ronin. You know who's driving in those in the cars, right? It's all F1 drivers. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So it's all F1 drivers. And just Google like the behind the scenes on that film and you'll learn all about it. That's how I did. I love the driving in that film because it's all real. They're booking through Nice and, and stuff like that. And I know Nice and Cannes. I know those areas because I go there for work every year. Fantastic. And John Frankenheimer is uh, who was an amazing director. So that film, Vanishing Point, Gone in 60 Seconds, I liked. I have a soft spot for the remake. Don't don't be mad. But oh, I, the, the Nick Cage? I like the Nick Cage one. I thought I like the first Nick one was Cage, trash. Man, I like the Nick Cage one. But I dig him. Cannibal Run still holds up. But you, you know you know what? The common thread with all those older movies. I mean, you could even lump Le Mans in there. You could lump Bullet in there. The Seven Ups, stuff like that. They had these epic car chases. Yeah. And they were, they were legitimate car chase scenes, not like the stuff that we're used to today where it's, stuff's exploding and it's mostly yeah, CGI and, it's, and whatever. Uh, fast edits nowadays. Like, yeah. you know, like the average shot in a Fast and Furious movie is about a half a second to a second. You know what I mean? It's like the older movies are long takes, like one take, camera yeah. in the car, you know, French Connection, you know, like that. To Live and Die in LA. Have you seen that movie? That I haven't seen. I'll oh, have to God, check it out. Watch it. It's the same director as The French Connection. It's William Friedkin, okay? He did okay. The Exorcist as well. To Live and Die in L.A. has amazing car chases in it. So uh, I highly recommend it. I mean, there's some terrible car chase scene movies too. We reviewed some of those as well. And much like you talked about Miami Vice, all of them use the 911 as the soundtrack for all the cars, regardless if it was a V8 or a four-cylinder. I never understood that, but whatever. It was always a 911. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just found out recently, I was watching uh, Rendezvous. Okay. I just found out that it was a Mercedes with a uh, camera on the hood with like a gimbal or something like that in the 70s. But the sound is a Ferrari. Correct. And so everybody thinks it's like a Ferrari 250 or whatever. And it, so it's a Mercedes, huh? It's a Mercedes. And the guy who filmed it, it was his Mercedes and his Ferrari. So he was doing it. So it was a Mercedes. That was an impressive film, dude. It was shot in one go in the middle of the morning and all this crazy. There's a lot of myth around that movie. And so you never know what's the truth and what is it. I've watched it so many times and it, it, it just, it holds up after what? Has it been 60 years, if not more? Something like that. I mean, it's like, what, a 10 minute film? Eight, yeah. eight, 10 minute film, all one take. It's, I think it was shot at like five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday in Paris. And I've heard that there was only about three or four spotters in the entire thing. I think they were using radios or walkie talkies and stuff like that. And there was like one hairy moment in the whole. Yeah, where the truck is backing up and the lady's walking out. You're like, whoa, this isn't going to work. So that was amazing. I I watched that over and over and they just remastered it too. So it really sounds, yeah, it looks and sounds great. Man, um, too bad there isn't footage from the outside. It would have been really cool to see how it was made. But again, that's part of the myth of that movie is not knowing what's really going on. Yeah, and then people have tried to like copy it over the years as an homage and it just doesn't have that same 
je ne sais quoi. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of French films, we also, if you go back and listen to some of the other podcast episodes we've done, we reviewed a new film that came out of France last year during COVID. It's called The Lost Bullet. And apparently there's going to be a sequel to it or a trilogy, something like that. And actually we tweeted about it and the director responded back to us, which we thought was super awesome. But that was surprisingly good film and some just like low budget cars and stuff, good chase scenes, good action. And we were like, excuse me, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was dating a French woman here for about a year. One of the main reasons I was dating her and how we clicked is because she had a a 9972C4S cab, PDK. I I won't hold it against her. But anyway, she's, you know, a, a big film fan as I am. And she turned me on to that film. And I'm like, really? And I started watching, I'm like, this is kind of goofy, but the chase scenes are awesome. Exactly. You know, I was like, this is actually pretty good. And it's like a cheap uh, Luc Besson. So I love Luc Besson films. So yeah, the French do make some great, great There's stuff. some really, and, and actually, and I don't know if it's part of your world, you're talking about international. We're starting to see a lot more international programs and films come over. Things like Money Heist. Lupin. There's a lot of really cool stuff like on Netflix and whatnot. And, it, and they're being dubbed in English, which is good for, you know, American audiences. You can watch it in the native language or the native tongue if you want. Right. I like the fact that we're cross-pollinating now, but, you know, talking about Lost Bullet, I'm with you. I mean, that opening scene where he puts like the Lambo motor in the back of his Clio and he, he's trying to like run through the bank and stuff. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And then after that, it just, it kind of opened up and I was like, hello. I'm like, hey, I got sucked in. You yeah, know, the exactly. First five minutes, I was exactly like you, looking at my girlfriend, like, what, what is this shit? And, <laughs> and then, and she's like, just stick with it. And I stuck with it. And I was like, oh, this is great. I agree with you that I'm really enjoying the fact that films and, and television shows from around the world are becoming more mainstream now. When I was growing up, when I was in film school, we were watching John Woo films and and Hong Kong stuff, Korean stuff like Old Boy and all that stuff that was really a niche market. You know, only certain film cinephiles would dig. And now it's all mainstream. So every show that you just mentioned, Lupin and, and have you guys seen The Bureau? No, I haven't watched it yet. No, watch it. It's a French show. It's a espionage type thing. Oh, nice. Low burn. Fantastic. One of the best shows I've seen in 10 years. I'm a big fan of Money Heist, man. That is, that's great. You know, there's a lot of stuff around the world and I'm glad that Netflix, you know, they have the money to make the card shuffling that's going on right now, you know, with the, the Paramount Pluses and the Discovery Pluses and the Hulus and the Disney, you know, they're all plus now, right? Plus this and plus that. I think it, it helped Netflix actually diversify the portfolio because I've been with Netflix for such a long time. I mean, in the early days, you know, going back to the DVD era, and then it was like, oh, we have the streaming service. Do you want to try it? It was like getting the AOL CD in the mail. You know what I mean? The stuff that was on Netflix back then, it was like, oh, it's it's Muskrat Manor with like, what's his face? You know, Samwise Gamgee from the you know, Lord of the Rings is the narrator. What's his, I can't remember his real name right now, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. John Austin. John Austin, exactly. So I'm like, that's like the beginning days. And there was a lot of like really indie stuff on there. And it became so mainstream because it was like one-stop shopping. That was the well that everybody drank from. And right. now I'm kind of glad that we're back to some of the more diversified 
portfolio. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm a big Anglophile. I love British TV. So I like tapping into that kind of stuff and, you know, getting exposure to what's going on over the pond. Let's talk about who are the secret petrol heads that we don't know about. You know, we know Tom Cruise, we know Paul Walker, we know Steve McQueen and, and, and you know, all those guys are all petrol heads, but there's got to be some other ones that maybe we're, we're not familiar with. So let's, let's go with that. Was Weinstein a petrol head? No, I don't think he ever drove. He always had a driver. I don't know about secret. I mean, I've seen and met Keanu Reeves with his ARC motorcycles. Mm. I've seen him. He's got uh, a Chevelle too, right? Yeah. Brad Pitt, I heard, is a, uh, a big petrol head. The wrestler, Goldberg. Oh, Goldberg, yes. Yeah, he's a, he, he was on a show. I thought it was on History Channel. They did a lot of the car stuff. He did a show way back in the day called The Bull Run, which is now like a rally, I think. Oh, okay. And, and Mike Musto was a contestant on that show with his uh, okay. 68 Charger. I'm trying to think who else. I mean, so let me, I'll rephrase the question. Celebrities you have run into at some of these car shows that you didn't expect to see there. Jay Leno, you see all the time. I have a funny story about Jay Leno really quick. I was on that road, Angela's Crest, and I was in my Catherine's Cayman, and I'm flying up a hill. I'm probably doing about 90 in a, in a 40, but, you know, it was a straightaway, easy. I'm flying, and coming down the hill is a yellow McLaren, and it's flashing its lights at me, letting me know that there's a cop. And the closer it got, I was looking like, who's driving it? And I see this big head. You mean big chin, right? And he's got a huge noggin. It's like, <laughs> and you can see it's Jay Leno. And I'm like, cool. And then it's like a month or so later, I bumped into him at another car event. I said, dude, you saved me from getting a ticket. It's like, what are you talking about? And I told him and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, no problem. I was doing that for everyone. I'm like, well, that, that was a cool little story. Nice. Um, there's a really big Porsche event every year in LA. I can never pronounce it. It's like Lufengausen or something like that. It's huge, but it's put together by Patrick Long. I think Patrick Dempsey and another famous actor. I forgot who it was. And they do this huge air-cooled 9-11 event every year. And the last time they did it was in 2019. And they did it at the Universal Pictures lot. Oh, wow. You get to go into the lot, which is huge. You walk around and there's all these air-cooled 9-11s everywhere, like a thousand of them. And it was amazing. So I'm walking around and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool 9-11. But why am I getting this deja vu here? And I look around and sure enough, I'm standing right in the middle of the town center where Back to the Future was filmed, <laughs> the clock tower. Oh, wow. I, so everyone's freaking out about 9-11s and stuff. I'm freaking out because I'm standing next to the clock tower. And that was pretty cool. <laughs> I heard there's a DeLorean still rotting on the property there, not too far from that set. Really? Yeah, it's one of the last of the of the film cars. That Is it still in the bush? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think by so. The, it's like it's time. like one of the last film cars that didn't get either dismantled, sold off, or destroyed, and it's like still there on the property. I've seen on the street. I've seen uh, DeLoreans that are replicas of the one from the film. You know, with all the stuff complete with Mister um, Fusion. Yeah, Mister Fusion. The uh, the the there was um, fog shooting out of the exhaust ports and all that. 
I've seen the Ghostbusters. Ecto-1, the Cadillac. That. I've seen the Batmobile, the original Batmobile. A lot of cool stuff. Well, since you brought it up and you're talking about, you know, famous movie cars, there's been a lot of movie cars kind of destroyed over the years. And there's, you know, rumors and wives' tales about like these big just parking lots full of Dodge Chargers that are out there that are just kind of rotting in the sun. I mean, is that, is that you know, from Dukes of Hazard or whatever? I mean, is that true? Or are there movie cars that you can get your hands on out there and, and do guess, something with? If there is. I have no idea about it, but now you've piqued my interest. So I'm going to probably have to do some, uh, some research. That would be great photography uh, for me. I know there's like airplane graveyards and stuff like that out in the middle of nowhere. You know, photography is big. I mean, I guess out there with all these, you know, hot looking cars, it's not hard to take a bad picture, right? So any tips and tricks for aspiring photographers? I mean, what are you using as your camera, stuff like that? I use Canon, a Canon 5D Mark IV. I use primarily two lenses, 70 to 200 and uh, 24 to 70. They're amazing cameras, but you'd be surprised what you can shoot with your iPhone nowadays. I've been hanging around some really, really good photographers. So I've been learning from them as well. The thing is, when you're taking a photo of a car, the difference between a photograph and a snapshot is positioning of the the, the photo. So just taking a shot of a car at a car show is super boring. So you want to try to do what's called the rule of thirds, if you know what that is to position the car, cool blurred background or something like that, or one distinct, really cool feature on the car. Uh, That's what I like to do rather than just a regular car shot. It's hard to take shots of a car in motion to make it look like it's in motion with your cell phone, but it's easy to do on those cameras. That's kind of cool as well. And I'm really getting into black and white again. Trying to shoot in black and white is pretty cool. Nice. Not on film though, still digital. All digital. Nice. Yeah, nice. I, I'm, I, everything is digital nowadays. So, very cool. But yeah, hmm. uh, I'm not as well steeped in LA knowledge yet. That's all right. So while you're searching, just keep an eye out for the Defender from the Viper TV series on NBC. Because I mean, I, I would love to get my hands on something like that. My second unicorn is a Falcon, you know, the Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, with the big uh, supercharger or whatever on the top of it. I've seen a couple of those around town. The Falcon XB GT. So speaking of which, mm-hmm. most people don't realize Eric Bana's a major petrol head. Have you seen his movie, Love the Beast? Absolutely. So uh, I love that film. Uh, Eric Bana is supposed to be, I've never met him, but I've heard he's a real down to earth, cool guy. Yeah. And I think that that movie, I mean, it's a biopic, right? I mean, in, rea- in reality, but I think it speaks a lot to his true personality, who he is, his humble beginnings and all that. And if for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's totally worth watching. It's a fantastic film. And I make it a point to watch it every year. Yeah, I pretty much watch it almost every year. I think it's one of my favorite car films as well. Especially that opening sequence where he's driving, I forget which track it is, in his 993 cup car. And he's just talking. He's got that monologue and he's setting the stage. And everything he says is true. I think of everybody that's spent time either as a coach or on track or has done some high performance driving. It, it really does resonate. And I think he encapsulates that whole feeling in that monologue at the beginning. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, there's something to be said, and, and I know you can, can pick this up pretty quickly, too, where uh, you'll be with someone, you'll know right off the bat that they can drive. You know, everyone that talks, blah, 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 my car does this, my car does that. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, there's certain people that have that 
mystique. And Brock Yates Jr. was one of those guys. What I've noticed over the years is that being at all these track events, the guys that look the grungiest and have like, you know, just don't give a crap are the best drivers. Well, welcome to GTM. (laughs) (laughs) All my, all my coaches, all my instructors who look like uncle Jesse from Duke. uh, I'll drive everyone. And I I thought that was awesome. So yeah. So so mountain man, Dan, if you're listening, I'm sure you're smiling right now. So I I love that. And it, it was great. And those are the people that I love being around because they just been there, done that, have been doing it. They'll take their, you know, RV with a, a toe on it and they're retired. And all they do is go from racetrack to racetrack. And that's all they do. Those are the people that if you really want to learn how to drive, at least from my experience, are the people that you want to be around. Absolutely. So I've got, I've got a question for you. you. You go to a lot of car shows and everything. You see a lot of people. There's a lot of money out in LA. Is there one particular brand or, or manufacturer that you would say, is like the manufacturer of choice. And the reason I'm asking this is when we went to Texas for the F1 race, it seemed like you could throw a stone in any direction and hit a McLaren. Yeah, McLaren seems to be the, uh, the, the hot new thing. So you'll, you'll see a ton of them all the time. Yeah. I'll pull over to get gas. There'll be 10 of them <laughs> flying by before I, I fill up completely. And uh, so I would say McLaren, Porsche, a lot of people are big fans of that. A lot of old muscle cars, which is really cool, but you're not going to see, obviously, you're not going to see a ton of them on the canyons and stuff like that. They're right. just cruising along, you know, loping. Are they coupes or convertibles? Most of the time, coupes. You do see really? coupes every once in a while. Oh, there's a really cool place in Burbank called Bob's Big Boy. And every Friday, it's like an old school, think of American Graffiti. Okay, uh, if you guys remember that. Are you from the East Coast? <laughs> Grew up eating at Bob's Big Four. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> Dude, so they're in the Midwest. They're called like Frishes or something like that. I mean, they've been around yeah, forever. I went, I went to one in Ohio just like a, a two couple years ago. Yeah, they don't. we don't have that shit in New York, dude. We have like White Castle. You, you, know? got, you got pizza. You got the pies. Yeah, but it. they got the best bagels, though. Yeah, the bagels. <laughs> Can I get a schmear? I need a schmear on my bagel. Locks on my bagels. <laughs> so the Bob's Big Boy in Burbank is really well known. And it's one of those places where they used to have like girls on roller skates. Yeah. The food and all that. So every Friday night, there's a car show there. Every Friday night. And it's always the same guys. Like I've been there, you know, it's the garage queens and stuff, you know, but they have beautiful cars. So I really can't make fun of them, but favorite thing on the secret menu at In-N-Out Burger, go. Two by two or three by three animal style. (laughs) And a root beer float. It's the longest menu that doesn't exist. But anyway, keep keep going. (laughs) There's a, if you guys know Mel's Diner. Not from Happy Days, right? No, not from Happy Days. Uh, It's from uh, the American Graffiti was shot there. So there's two of them here. One of them is in Hollywood or I think West Hollywood or Hollywood. And then the second one is right down the street from me right here in Sherman Oaks, uh, where I live. And uh, that's kind of cool. So nice. retro and all that. And you'll see some cool cars. You haven't mentioned anything about lowriders. And lowriders have like started in Southern California. And I haven't heard you say anything about them. Is, I mean, is that culture still big, the lowrider yeah. culture out there? It definitely is, but it, I could be completely wrong, but I think that culture is 
in a certain area of LA. I definitely have seen car shows where it's, you know, all the cars going like this and all that crazy stuff, but I don't see them at the events that I go to uh, in Malibu and the canyons and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm fascinated by those cars. They, they, so they I. I know nothing about them with yeah. the spinners and all that kind of stuff. They're a beautiful looking works of art. I just don't know where to go. I mean, if I really wanted to, I can just go on Google and, and find out where there's a car show for that. Yeah. But again, LA is so big. Just to go from here to like, let's say like Inglewood or something like that, or Compton or Long Beach is an hour and yeah. away. And you're still in LA. Crazy. So I've been trying to find all these little pockets of where to go and, and, and hang out. And it just so happens that I'm closer to Malibu and Venice and uh, all those areas for car shows. So since you brought it up, before I get into my next question, have you been down to the Grand Prix at Long Beach? No, I haven't. I, I was just talking to a Porsche experienced instructor who lives in Long Beach and he was telling me you should definitely come down because you could see the track and all that kind of stuff. So I've driven the streets when it wasn't a track because I had gone down there just to do that because you could do it. It's all in the streets. But how cool would it be if you could, let's say on the Thursday, they do an open DE or something like that. Oh, that'd be slick, right? That'd be awesome. Or like, even if they don't want to go that crazy and just have like go-karts or something like that, that would be amazing. I'll do the celebrity Celicas from back in the day. Like, let's go for it, man. I, I'm still trying to convince Eric to go out there with me to watch the trophy trucks at Long Beach. Dude, that's cool. Watching that on TV is fantastic. What I've noticed in LA is because it's so big, if you live in certain areas of LA, like let's say you live in Santa Monica, you're going to, for the most part, stay in Santa Monica in that area because it's such a pain to get out of it to go anywhere. So people just like stay in that area. And I don't have that mentality yet because uh, I'm still learning about LA and I don't mind driving everywhere. I don't mind saying, okay, I'll meet you at your house and you, you're 40 minutes away. No problem. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Plus I love to drive, you know, so uh, I, it doesn't bother me, but people here are, are like, if they live in Venice and I live in Sherman Oaks, uh, they're like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not coming to visit you. You know, like we'll meet halfway. I'm like, all right, whatever. And I'll never forget the first time I went out to LA. There's that one section where all the highways come together. It's like the five and the 10 and the whatever. It's like, and I think I counted nine lanes on my side of the highway. And I was like, I need to get off over there. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not used to that. Like, you know, our widest highways here, are what, four lanes wide. I mean, it's, it's, it's bonkers. Yeah. yeah it's pretty crazy. So the, I think one of the biggest congestion points is uh, taking the 101 to the 405. Okay, so what happens is, is that the, the 101 is like five or six lanes. And then to get to the 405, it's one lane. One lane, dude. So I lived, my first apartment was in North Hollywood. And my office is in Santa Monica. It take me an hour and like 30 minutes to go 12, like 14 miles. Oh was, my God. <laughs> oh, it's insane. So I bought a Ducati and I would take the back roads and just, you know, lane, lane splitting is legal here. So I would just creep up, you know, to the lights and I would make it in 30 minutes. What Ducati so, did you get? Monster 821. Nice, nice and, bike. Uh, cool bike. I put Terminiones on it and, and all that. Going back to what I said when we first started talking, they're the worst drivers. And I pretty much almost die <laughs> on the bike. And I actually got into a, 
it's a whole other story, but I got into a really bad situation with a guy, Road Rage, and uh, attacked me, screwed up my uh, leg. I had four surgeries. Wow. That's a whole other story. So that was like, okay, I think I'm not going to ride a bike in LA anymore. If I do get a bike, I'm only going to use it on a Sunday morning at five in the morning and go to the crest or something. Yeah. LA was living in North Hollywood. It was horrible. So I moved to Sherman Oaks just to bypass that 405 101 connection. So I'm right on the 405. Now it takes me 30 minutes or nice. wow. <laughs> And it's a three mile difference. This like North Hollywood is three or four miles away from me. It's horrible. We've been talking a lot about the car culture, the differences, you know, all this kind of thing. But I also find, you know, as you said, LA is huge. It's dense. It's one of the, you know, one of the largest cities in the United States. But I also find it, you know, as we continue to talk about car culture to be a bit bipolar. Right. And so I want to touch on the fact that you're, you've been talking a lot about sports cars. You got guys with the McLarens and the Ferraris and the Porsches. And then you have the other contingent, right? And I'm not, I'm not here to throw shade, but I'm talking about the EV revolution folks, right? Oh, so yeah, Look, you got yeah. this weird seesaw going on where you have a huge car culture, people that are invested in the petrol world. And then you've got the other side where it's all about the Teslas and the Priuses and the, the Nissan Leafs and all that stuff, right? So oh, I'm glad to talk about those guys. I mean, out here, the biggest thing is the Prius in the left lane. It's weird here that in New York, at least, if I'm in the left lane and I'm doing 80 and you're doing 70, a lot of the time they'll get out of the way. Maybe every once in a while, I'll flash my lights really quick and they'll get out of the way. That does not exist in LA. It doesn't. I go faster on the 405 in the right lane than in the left lane. I pass everyone. I don't get it. I don't know if it's a sense of entitlement just lack of situational awareness, or they just don't give an F. So that's the Prius problem. With Teslas, they're all over the place, dude. All over the place. But I mean, are you seeing a shift or is there more of a blend? Like the guy that's got the McLaren, he daily is a Tesla or something like that. I mean, yeah, I think the guy that's got the McLaren is probably uh, dailying a a Taycan. (laughs) So, I mean, look, the Teslas are fast as hell. And they actually handle pretty good because of the, you know, the center of gravity thing. I do love them. I would love getting a Model 3 as a, as a daily. They're just so bland. There's only like, what, three colors, you know, four colors so that you see them all the time. Every once in a while, you'll see someone that like put a matte wrap on it or something like that. And that's pretty cool. I'm seeing a lot of them on the road now, a lot. I think it's definitely the wave of the future. You know, every car is going to, it didn't be, who just said that they're not doing combustion engines? Anymore? Audi. Audi. Audi did, but that's, I mean, VW said that a couple of years ago and they're the parent yeah. company. So it was only a matter of time. Look, I, I think it's smart and I think it's the way to go, but you know, these cars that we drive are always going to be around. I'm glad that you have the option now to, to do both. Hopefully not every car in the future is going to be electric. They're still going to do internal combustion, naturally aspirated you know, engines and stuff, but who knows? So what's the infrastructure like in, in LA for all these EVs? Or is it just everybody's got a garage? I mean, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of street parking just like in New York. So how are these folks managing? You know, LA being so big, there's a lot more space here than New York, okay? So get, finding parking is extremely easy. And it freaked me out because 
I was like, I got to leave 20 minutes earlier because I'm never going to find park. And it's like, bloop, you're like the only car on the street. You know what I mean? Plus there's like garages everywhere. And it's like, a, like the public parking. And it's like a dollar, you know, maybe $2. And in, L in New York, it's like $50 for an hour. So that freaked me out too. So I was like, uh, wow, this is amazing. The infrastructure here is different. There's like power stations or whatever they're called everywhere. And because there's so much space, people have garages all the time. And uh, the more modern buildings in townhouses or apartment buildings have designated spots for EV cars, which is very cool. The last apartment I lived in had like one complete floor just for EV charging. Wow. That's pretty cool. At least yeah. it's some forward thinking. I mean, I think the challenge we have here on the East Coast is we're always kind of concerned with the mileage game, the range game, right? But because I think the problem is the infrastructure is so much older because, yeah. you know, the East Coast was settled first. There's a lot of old, you know, look at Boston, look at DC, look right. at Philadelphia, right? And yeah. to retrofit all that infrastructure is, is a very big challenge. And people are like, well, why can't you just do it? Because you can't. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't happen overnight. So it's very interesting to see the difference West versus East. Out here, again, because of space, they are very forward thinking out here. And uh, it, it's pretty cool. There's, the, the care for the environment is extremely uh, big topic here. There's a lot of liberals and, you know, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of hippies and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's LA, you know, it's California. I like it. I love it. I just want them to get the hell out of the way in the in the left lane. <laughs> that's, that's my main concern. Well, I mean, it's 72 mile an hour. That Prius is pretty much floored. So you can only go so fast. So the speed limit here for the most part is 65. When you start going out of the city, it gets to about 70. I have to say, though, people fly on these roads except for the Prius. I'll be doing 80 and I'll get passed by a Celica doing 90 or, and it's common. They just book. And, you know, I have the common courtesy if I'm in the left lane and I see a guy approaching, I get out of the way. Going back to really quick to, uh, to driving on the track and whatnot, this comes back to me driving on the street. Jay Tepper gave me some really good advice on how to keep my skills sharp while driving on the highway. And what he said was, do not stay in the left lane. He's like, because you become content in the left lane and all you do is just like this, go through the traffic. You're always looking around you. That'll keep your, you know, keep you sharp. And it's so true. And when I was driving up to Button Willow, I was doing the exact same thing. I was in the left lane and I'm like, oh man, I want to have some fun with this 987. So I was going, but gingerly, you know, not being an asshole. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like being door to door with you and 500 of your closest friends. Yeah. <laughs> Not too different than the track. So Paul, it has been a blast reconnecting and, and getting to hear about what the West Coast is like and doing the compare and contrast and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and like I said, you are sorely missed around the paddock. I mean, we always had a lot of fun at the track events and it, it's just not the same, but you know, I guess the more things go forward, the more we have to change, we have to adapt and, and come on to new things. So it's good to hear all these new stories and, and all that. So for all of you that are listening out there and you want to check out some of Paul's work and what he's into, be sure to follow him on Instagram at Paul W1138. You can see some of the fantastic pictures, some of the stuff he's working on. And you can also check out some of the stuff he's working on over at Myriad Pictures. So thanks for coming on the show, Paul. This has been fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Thank <laughs> you.
That's right, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Patreon for a follow-on Pit Stop mini-sode. So check that out on www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports and get access to all sorts of behind-the-scenes content from this episode and more. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization. And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.